Wonderful to worship with you this morning. If you're new with us today, my name's David Cassidy. I'm the pastor here at Spanish River Church. Great joy to welcome you and open God's word with you. If you are new with us today, we're in a series in Matthew's gospel called The King of Hope. Matthew's burden is to introduce us to Jesus as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he emphasizes that right from Jesus' birth, where the wise men come and say, where is he who has been born King of the Jews? And right the way through Jesus' ministry, emphasizing his teaching on the kingdom, Matthew calls us to recognize also the miracles that Jesus did as signs of the kingdom. So for a few weeks, between Easter and Ascension, which is next Sunday, We've been looking at Jesus' teaching on the kingdom, his parables of the kingdom, and starting last Sunday, a couple of weeks on signs of the kingdom. And we looked last week at Jesus' transfiguration, and today I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 14 for one of these unusual signs of the kingdom in which we find Jesus walking on the water, a very unusual miracle that takes place in his ministry. And um, it's full of very powerful imagery, which we need to be familiar with and understand so that we can allow the Holy Spirit to settle this truth down into our heart. If you were to walk into an older church, or perhaps in Europe or Central or South America, an even ancient church, you might notice that it was shaped like a cross, and it had a particular a particular way of, of bringing people together. Outside, when you first came in, would have been not something they called a foyer, but a narthex. It was a transitional space to come in and find a place to sit for worship. And this area up here would be called the chancel, and that's where the ministry of God's word would take place. But where the congregation is seated between that narthex and the chancel was called the nave, and it comes from a Latin word that's the same word from which we get our term navy. It has to do with people who get into ships and go to sea. And the reason that the ancient churches referred to where the congregation is gathered as a, a ship that's on a journey out on a mission, and believe me, friends, the church is not a carnival cruise liner with a 10-story slide and free drinks for all. This is a battleship with some giant guns, I have to tell you. That the reason they did that is because of the passage we're gonna to read today. Because of the image of God's people gathered together in a mission. You see, the mark of the greatness of a church is not its seating capacity, it's its sending capacity. And after Jesus feeds the multitudes here in the wilderness, he takes his disciples and he he places them in a boat, and he says, I want you to go over to this other territory. I'm going to rise and pray for you. I'm going to rise and pray. You're going to go on your mission, and I'm sending you to a place of deep need, deep darkness, deep brokenness, and as you go, you're going to meet with tremendous resistance as you begin your mission. You're going to be on stormy seas. Now, I don't know how many of us would think that was a great invitation, but that is what, in fact, Jesus did with his disciples. After all the miracle of feeding the multitudes, he sends them on a mission and rises to pray for them. And then in the midst of the storm, 
he comes walking on the sea. And I want you to read it with me in Mark 14, verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was by this time a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, that would be between 3 and 6 a.m., he came to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, as would I. <laughs> but immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, I am, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was terrified and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had gotten back into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, this is the Son of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for how it addresses the bad news of our situation. And we pray that today the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, just as he spoke to Matthew to write these words down to begin with. Inscribe them on our hearts, and may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the Bible was, when it was written, given to people who were not especially literate. Uh, we tend to think that if we want to read some part of the Bible and we don't have a Bible, we'll just go down to the bookstore or jump onto, on the web and we'll order something. But you couldn't go down to the Bethlehem bookshop to pick up a scroll of Isaiah back in the day. That's not the way things worked. Scrolls were extremely expensive. They were very costly to produce. And people were not especially literate. There was a literary class. They were the educated people, the priestly people. But for the most part, people were not reading text. They didn't take a Bible home with them. They didn't take a whole scroll home with them. Only somebody who was extremely wealthy might have possession of such a thing. When people encountered the scriptures, it was in a setting like this. They were all together in the synagogue and the scroll was unrolled and a person found the place where it was written. As it says in Luke chapter four, Jesus found the place where it was written, found it, read it, and began to teach on it. This is why even Paul wrote to Timothy years later and he said, give attention to the public reading of scripture. So private reading is not something that everyone enjoyed. Public reading is what how, that's how most people encountered the Word of God. And that means the Scriptures are written with imagery. They're written in very powerful ways so that we have in our imagination pictures that take hold of us 
signs, if you will, to help us understand who the Lord is. They were, in a certain way, literary markers. They were ways of helping people remember what's really going on. Instead of just reading propositions, the Bible's not a dictionary that you just look up definitions. It's, it's, it's not a manual for solving geometry problems. Thank God for that. No, it's a book that's full of imagery that helps us understand who Jesus is and remember who he is. And the early Christians recounted this story of being sent on a mission and Jesus rising to pray. Next week, the church around the world will mark Jesus' ascension into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. And his sending of the disciples into the world on the mission. He sends us into the world. And what is his action in sending us? What is he doing? Well, we know he will return. So we live between his departure and his return. And he promises the Holy Spirit to his people as we go on that mission. He promises to come to us by his spirit while we're engaged in the work to which he calls us. But in this passage, we find three particular beautiful truths about who he is and what he's doing now for us as we are engaged in that mission. And the first one is Jesus' intercessory ministry. He sends them on the mission, but look what it says in the text. It says, he went up to pray. Now, many Christians are not aware of Jesus' intercessory ministry, but I want to bring it to your attention this morning. Christ not only intercedes for us on the cross where he sheds his blood for our redemption and reconciles us to God, Christ, the scriptures teach, in his ascension is at the right hand of the Father. Where, and this is how the writer of Hebrews puts it, he ever lives to make intercession for us. Probably everyone in this room at one time or another has turned to someone else or called someone else and said, would you pray for me? We all have a certain sense that we need help. We don't know how to pray as we should. We feel overwhelmed by the waves that are going against us. We're not sure where to turn. We need partners in prayer. But we sometimes forget that the person who is primarily praying for us is Christ himself. The great Scots theologian Robert Murray McShane said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, it would make all the difference. It makes no difference, he went on to say, that I cannot hear him, for he is praying for me all the same, and that is what makes all the difference. When you know that Christ is the one who's actually praying for you, and the reason for his intercession is so that what he has begun in you will find its fulfillment and be finished. It is an absolutely life-transforming moment. You see, the writer of Hebrews put it this way. He, Christ, is able to save us. If you have the old King James Version, it says, to the uttermost. He is able to save us 
More modern translations put it this way. He is able to save us completely because he ever lives to make intercession for us. You became a Christian to begin with. If you were a Christian today, you became a Christian because Christ interceded for you on the cross. He died for our sins. He was raised from the dead. But the reason you will be kept a Christian and finish the race as a believer is because Christ is interceding for you now at the right hand of the Father. And that makes all the difference. You see, If God is for you, then, finish it, who could be against you? And the reason you know God is for you is because Christ is on high praying for us in the midst of our stormy seas. He's the one who's lifting us up. Last uh, summer, one of our church planters was scheduled to preach here on Sunday morning. Now, I was here, but he was going to be preaching And then at the last minute, he was diagnosed with COVID and he was unable to preach. And so in an ironic twist, the the, the host pastor got to become the preaching pastor, uh, guesting for the guest preacher. And it was all very last minute. I was called and said, do you think you could preach? And I was, well, I'll see what I can do. I just don't know if I can think of anything to say. I got up really early. It was when we were still doing uh, two smaller services on Sunday morning. And I got over to the study really, really early on Sunday morning. And now I got to let you in on a secret about your church offices. The walls are very thin. And so you can sit in my office and you can hear just about everything in the next office. So I'm sitting in there, it's about seven in the morning, I'm laboring over the text, I wanna say something that's gonna be helpful and and make Jesus beautiful and believable and I'm laboring over that and looking at it and all of a sudden I start to hear voices. I hear voices from the office next door. It's the voice of Ron Tobias. (laughs) Right under the voice of the Almighty, right there. I hear the voice. And then I hear other voices. It's the voice of the elders of the church. Well, they're not in there. They're all on a Zoom call. And they've all been brought onto this Zoom call, and they do it every Sunday morning. But I didn't know it. They were on there. And I sat there listening for the next 20 minutes to the elders of the church praying for you as you would gather and praying for me as I would preach impassioned prayers that they were praying. I wept at my desk. I put down my pen. I was like, I don't need to do it. I just felt the Holy Spirit come and pick me up and envelop me and carry me because of the intercession that I heard from the room next door. I'm tell- and they do it every Sunday. And I'm telling you, friends, there is a great high priest whose name is love, who is at the right hand of the Father, who is interceding for us. And he who began a good work in you will finish. And the reason you're going to get through the storm to the other side is not because you have the strength to row, but because the one who walks on water, the one who is at the right hand of the Father, the one who interceded for you at the cross is interceding for you on high. And Jesus, when he prays for his people, has his prayers answered. He will get you all the way home. This is why why Paul in Romans chapter 8 said, who will bring a charge against God's elect? 
Christ is the one who justifies us. Christ is the one who died for us. Oh, more than that, who was raised for us. Oh, more than that, who is at the right hand of God who intercedes for us. And that is why he says, nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not demons, not life, not death, not principalities nor powers, not any created thing. There is nothing in the created universe that will ever be able to get you out of the grip of grace once you belong to Christ. And the reason for that is not because your faith is strong, it is because his intercession for you is unceasing. Oh, my friend, once you know Jesus is praying for you, that will change your life. He sent them on the mission and he rose to pray. But the mission was hard. The wind was against them. Where they were going was dark. And they'd been going all night. And then here he came. And this is why we not only need to know about the priestly intercessory ministry of Jesus, we need to know about the ruling, kingly ministry of Jesus. You see, he comes to them walking on the sea. That's a curious thing, really, isn't it? I mean, why do that? Why not just glide over? Why not just fly? Why not just take another boat the next day? Why, you see, why would Jesus do this? Was he just showing off? He was having a particularly great evening. That prayer time was really excellent, so I feel like walking on water tonight. No, you see, friends, there is always a sign in the wonder. There is always a message in the miracle. And Jesus walking over a storm-tossed sea is a sign. It's a wonder. They saw him doing it. What was he saying? Now see, for you and me, when we think about the sea and the oceans, we think about rest. We think about renewal. We go down to the beach because we want to work on our tan and have some fun with a family and we're going to relax and enjoy a peaceful afternoon. To us, going down to the beach and seeing the ocean, that's rest, that's renewal, that's peace. But that's not the way, that's not the way the first century Hebrew imagination viewed the beach and the sea. No, the land, the land, the promised land, that was important. Rivers, streams, oh, those were, those were wonderful. Those were pictures of the Holy Spirit. Rain coming down from heaven, well, well, that's the sign of God's word coming down from heaven. Those were the biblical emblems of their imagination. But, but in fact, when it came to the ocean, and it's stormy waves and great bodies of water and the way they worked, well, that was a different issue altogether. For them, those waves were the places where the Gentiles were. The prophet Isaiah talked about the stormy sea with its waves tossing up, being like the Gentile nations and the wicked who are never at rest. The very first time we come in contact with the seas in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the abyss, the sea. That's the, it's from a Hebrew term, the abyss. Darkness was there. And there's a, a moral force to that word. Something dark, something foreboding, something of wickedness. 
The word for sea in Hebrew comes from an old Ugaritic word that was the name of the dragon who lived in the deep, the opponent of God. What was the sea? The sea was the place where beasts came out of that were the opponents of God and his purposes in the world. In Daniel's prophecy, he sees the, 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 the summoning of beasts up out of the ocean. In Revelation chapter 13, the great dragon of old, the devil, after he attacks the woman who's giving birth to the son and tries to kill her and tries to kill her son and is made futile in that attack. In Revelation chapter 12, you shift then over to chapter 13, verse 1, it says he went to the beach. It's important to know the devil goes to the beach. I'm just saying. In, in Revelation 13, he went down to the beach. It says he went down to the beach and he stood there on the shore and he called up out of the sea the beast with its number 666, came up out of the ocean. He go, well, pastor, are you saying I shouldn't go to the beach anymore? No, I'll see you today at three. That's fine. I'm all for it. No, what I'm saying is that in their imagination, in their world, in their, in their theological world, the way that they viewed those places were the powers of darkness. When, when Jesus cast the demons out of the man who had the legion, the demons went into the pigs, and then the pigs did what? They ran into the water. And all the Hebrew people who heard that story went, that's exactly where they should have gone. They were going home. That's the way it was viewed. And he came to them walking on the water. Not gliding, walking. Because in that world, when you walk across something, you're taking ownership of it. You're taking dominion over it. God said to Abraham, you see all this land, north, south, east, and west, I'll give it all to you. Arise, walk across it. Just walk across it. 400 years from now, your descendants will possess it. You're called to walk on it. When Jesus came to them walking on the water, he was announcing to them, I have dominion over the darkness. I am the king who has the keys of death and hell. I am the one who is subverting all satanic powers. I am the one who by what I do with my authority is driving back the forces of darkness. You don't have to be afraid anymore. I'm not only the one who intercedes for you on high, I'm the one who as king rules over all things and I I will take dominion over every dark power. Church, fear not. Do not be afraid. I'm the one who has authority over every dark force in the world. I am treading down the serpent and the scorpion, and I'm giving you the same power too. Do you remember the very first prophecy about the Messiah in Genesis? The Lord said to the serpent, when he comes, when Messiah comes, the seed of the woman You'll bruise him on the heel, but he will crush your head. And Paul wrote to the Roman Christians and said, God will soon crush Satan under your feet. And that's why Peter said, Lord, if it's you, I'd like to join you in the stroll on the sea. Is that you, Lord? Called me. And Jesus turned to Peter, he said, come, come join me. 
Come join me in taking dominion over the darkness. Come join me. I'm telling you, I like spacewalks. I like watching people walk in space. That's impressive. Water walking 101, that's a crazy class now. <laughs> Peter signed up for it. A man who was a fisherman by trade, he left behind everything he'd ever learned about the sea and he got out of the boat, he climbed over the edge. And don't you know that first step would have been timid until he found his footing in the waves and he started walking towards Jesus, joining him and taking dominion over the darkness. When you begin, when you begin to serve Christ, your first steps towards Jesus will feel timid. And then suddenly you realize the one who has dominion over all things, the King of kings and the Lord of lords is the one to whom you are walking, the one who is with you, the one who is your savior, and he will uphold you. But Peter saw the waves and then suddenly he remembered his physics class from the University of Jerusalem. <laughs> and he realized that what he was doing was impossible. He saw the waves, and it says he began to sink. Now, that doesn't mean he was kind of like hip deep, like, oh, 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 I'm kind of, I'm in trouble here. No, it means he's, it literally means he's plunged down beneath the waves, and he screams out in the words of Psalm 69, oh, Lord, the waves have gone over my head. Oh, Lord, save me. You see, when the psalmist says the waves are over my head, he's saying the Gentiles, the dark powers, everything is overwhelming me. I am overwhelmed. I can't take it anymore. And you may have said those words this week. And when Peter cried out, oh Lord, save me. Jesus extended his strong hand and he lifted him up and they walked back to the boat together. My friends, across this city and across this land, Jesus is picking up people who've been sinking and he's walking them back to the church. He's walking them back to the kingdom. There's people who have been shaken, people that are going down. There's people here this morning who have probably said, I am overwhelmed. I can't take it anymore. Oh, Lord, save me. And the one, my friends, who has conquered the devil and death and sin and the grave, that Savior picks you up and brings you safely back to himself. And that is why this morning, what happens to the apostles in this passage is so important. It says when Jesus got into their boat, they worshiped him. You see, worship, worship happens when we see who he is. And when you see Jesus as your priest who prays and your king who reigns, then you worship him. Worship is not an emotion which is drawn out of us by the manipulation of people with instruments and voices. It is the response of a heart which is captured by the wonder and the beauty of grace. When God's grace and the beauty of who Jesus is captures you, you worship him. And they landed, and the next few verses tell us that when they got to where they were going, the wounded, the broken, and the sick were healed. My friends, there is a broken world, a wounded world, a sick world that needs the healing of Jesus. But that means that all of us need to put our trust in Christ who died for our sins on the cross and rose from the dead. 
We need to trust that he's interceding for us. We need to trust that he is ruling over all things in the middle of every storm, in the middle of every storm-tossed wave, in the middle of everything we're facing. And we cry out with Peter, there's no shame in it, Lord, save me. And then we see him and we worship him. Because friends, when you put your trust in Christ as your priest who prays and your king who reigns, you're going to become an instrument in God's hand that brings healing to this world. That's what happens. And so I invite you this morning to join the apostles in the ship, the good ship of mission, the mission of bringing Jesus' love to this world. First, by putting your trust in Christ as your Savior. Putting your trust in Christ as your priest who's interceding for you. And putting your trust finally in him as your king who will drive back the darkness. Who will rescue you when you can't take it anymore. He will extend his hand and save you. My friend, you are not a Christian today because your faith is so strong. You are a Christian today because you have a strong Savior who will never let you go. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, strong and mighty Savior, great high priest who reigns on high, ruling King of kings and Lord of lords, you who summon us to the seas, you who defeat the darkness, the dragon, death, and disease. Lord, we look to you, and in our moment of sinking, we cry out, save me. Lord, for all those today who need saving, bring your power and save. For all those, Lord, this morning, who need renewing, renew them. For those, Lord, who have for too long set safely in the boat and need to hear you say, join me on the waters, would you call us, summon us to join you in the great mission? And then, Lord, please use us as your people to bring healing to this world. And now this morning, friends, if you need to receive Christ as your Savior, I want to invite you to pray right where you are. Pray this with me. You say, I need Jesus as my Savior. I need him. Lord Jesus, you who died for my sin on the cross, you who gave your life for my life, I put my trust in you. Forgive my sins. Be my Lord and Savior. You who gave your life to me, I give my life to you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said.